Welcome to On Scene First. I'm your host, Tracy Eldridge. With over 25 years in public safety, I am wicked excited and honored to bring you entertaining, educational, and empowering conversations with public safety difference makers who are harnessing the power of -of out-of-the-box thinking with the latest and greatest must-have technology tools and mental health resources to save lives on both sides of the call. Before we get started, a special thank you to our premier sponsor, Rapid SOS. As a trusted public safety data partner and the creators of the world's first emergency response data platform, RapidSOS is sharing critical data with first responders like myself to get us the information we need to save lives and property. To learn how you can become RapidSOS ready and better protect the ones you love, visit RapidSOS.com and tell them Tracy sent you. Now, on with the show. Hey friends, I'm wicked excited for today's guest today, Ocean Destradens. Ocean is an 18 year 911 extraordinaire with a passion for training and consulting. As a certified trainer of the LGBTQIA awareness for public safety professionals, we will peel back some hard layers, share valuable information and raise awareness and understanding of a topic we could all learn a little bit more about. All right, Ocean. Welcome. How are you, my friend? Oh, I'm good. Thank you so much. I'm really glad to be meeting with you today. Oh, I am so excited. We have a lot to talk about. And and I think some of the stuff we're going to talk about is definitely not something that that is out there. I think it's out there in, in kind of the kind of in the background, but you know, you're definitely bringing it to the forefront. I've realized recently there's a lot that I have to learn about this topic, Uh, but before we jump into that topic per se, I would love for our listeners to get to know you. So let's start with who is Ocean? Where do you work? Well, you know, what, what are you doing for work? Where are you? Let's, let's get to know you. Who are you? (laughs) Okay. Um, Well, thank you. My, my name is Ocean. Um, I have worked in 911 communications here in Colorado for the last 18 years. I work at a sheriff's office and we dispatch law, fire, and medical uh, for two counties, actually. We contract with another county. So um, I've been here doing that for almost 18 years now. Um, I've been a line dispatcher, uh, training communications officer, um, lead dispatcher. I did a short stint as a supervisor. Um, and, and now I'm just, I'm back to dispatching and training is okay. what I do mostly. So, yeah. Awesome. So you and I connected on social media as with many folks, uh, over the last couple of years, I'm, I'm convinced that my, my social media following has grown as most of us have, because that's the world that we lived in kind of over, over time. We are both a part of one of the Facebook groups, um, for the LGBTQ IA. Is that what it is? Correct me. Well, you know, we'll talk about that because there's really not a correct or incorrect acronym to use. So okay. I believe the Facebook group that we're in is called LGBT Dispatch Community okay. or something like that. Yeah. But um, yeah, you'll hear different acronyms and it's not about whether it's correct or not. It's just to convey a certain level of inclusivity for other identities. But um, I think the group we're in is LGBT 
right dispatch on. community if i'm yeah if I'm and correct. i i think i think you're i think you're right and um you know i, I do want to bring awareness to that place because it's a, it's a great place it's a great place to be yes people are inclusive and they're kind and they're supportive and i i just love being in there now now i am um hold on a cis female uh which mm-hmm. i learned on your recent a training and we're going to get we're going to get into all of that. My mind's going 100 miles an hour right now because that's that's how it works. But I want to first talk about so and the reason why we're bringing this up is because you recently started advocating and training for a, a different level of understanding for the LGBTQ community, right? Sure. And yes. and I joined one of your recent presentations. I have a lot to learn. I have I have a daughter who is uh, is is recently out, and she's getting married to to oh. a female next year. And you know, this was something that it wasn't something we had expected. Mm. And I wanted to be able to support her and understand. So I very quickly, you know, latched on to some prominent folks in the 9-1 space and said, hey, guide me, like, like, tell me the right things to say, what not to say, what what not to do, Uh, because I am truly a people driven person. I don't Mm -hmm. want to offend anybody. Will I will I offend people? Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I, cause I just don't know better. So I think it's, I think it's great, but before we get to the class and talk about the class, can we go back to your story? I want to start with, with your story, wherever you feel comfortable going back to and kind of start, cause you've made some recent changes in your life. You've gone through a lot of changes in your nine one center. So wherever you feel comfortable starting that story. Sure. Let's take a journey. Okay. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, you know, my, my own journey just keeps kind of unfolding in new ways um, <laughs> yeah. and I'm learning, I mean, I'm learning about myself in new ways. And, and so one thing I like to say in my class of people, you know, if they seem like they're getting overwhelmed, I just tell them, you know, there's no expectation that you have to learn this all in two hours. Um, it's taken me almost 40 years <laughs> to learn it. <laughs> for myself. So right, right. Um, I appreciate that. It is a journey. Uh, when I started my career in 911, I was 21 years old. And at that time, I had a, a certain belief system that I ascribed to. Um, and I had a certain understanding of who I was and, you know, what, what was correct or proper for sexuality and what wasn't. And at that time uh, in my life, when I, when I had just started my 911 career, I was uh, getting married to the woman I was seeing and engaged to at the, at the time Uh, we were married. And for 11 years, we were married and had, we have three kids. And uh, again, I was, you know, employed with 911. And so I kind of, it's like personal life, but it, it also runs, you know, that, track right along with my career. And, and so, you know, a lot of times I, and you probably can speak to this too, and what you see in 911 centers, there's that balance of our personal lives and, 
you know, sometimes there's this expectation of you have to leave it at the door. It doesn't come into work. And then we all kind of nod and smile because that sounds good. But I mean, we always are bringing our entire selves when we come to work. Right. So, so I just got goosebumps because I have a new slide. The fact that you say that like literally goosebumps, right? So, (laughs) um, in one of my new classes, be the leader you want to follow. I have a, a slide and in the slide, it says as big as life, leave your problems at the door. And I ask in the class, how many of you have said this or heard Mm -hmm. this? And the majority of the class raises their hand. And then as soon as they do that, I hit the the button and the big red circle with the line through it goes right through it because we have to get better at understanding who people are outside of work and what they're dealing with. I want to change that narrative. I want to know that somebody's struggling, you know, with whatever it is, whether it's, it's a child with a drug addiction or they're a caretaker for a family member with autism, or they're struggling with kind of who they are in their identity, because they think once we can do that, it's just proving that we're trying to bring the human factor back. Yeah. Absolutely. So um, in my course of my career, a lot has changed for me and my own understanding of myself and my identity. And um, one of the first things that happened is, you know, actually I credit uh, a coworker of mine who has never hidden who she is. Um, And I, as a 21 year old, was uh, sitting next to this person almost every day. And she Um, has a wife and she's been married for a long time. And um, just working with her and seeing who she is really confronted a lot of my own beliefs about what it meant to be um, LGBT or LGBTQ. Yep. You know, a lot of the belief system I had at the time was based on it's not okay to be gay. It's immoral to be gay. Gay people can't really be in love with each other because it's it's not a proper way to relate to somebody. And these were things that I believed and I believed about myself and I believed about other people. And yet I was working alongside someone who was uh, an amazing person, a compassionate person who loved their partner And it really started to confront some of these ideas that I had uh, in my own belief system. And shortly thereafter, I started also considering perspectives from people who said, well, I am gay, but I also have a religious faith. And these people were somehow able to make those two things come together in a way that I was not able to do. I always thought, well, if I'm religious, then I can't also be gay, that those two things opposed each other. And I started to hear more stories from people who were, in this particular example, they were gay and Christian. And again, that was at that time in my life, a perspective that I had never considered before. And once I started interacting more with with that community, it kind of in a way was the final blow, as I like to call it, to my own belief system that I had intact at the time. Okay. So at this point, I had been now married for four or five years. Um, We had our first child And my second child had just been born and I attended a conference for the gay Christian community. And I left that conference knowing everything in my life had now just changed. Wow. Um, And I I didn't know what that was going to mean exactly. I just knew for a fact that as I was going home and it just happened to be a conference, it's a national conference, but it was here in uh, the Denver area. So I was going home going, 
I don't know what this is going to mean for me and my wife and my family, but I know that everything has changed. And um, that just started the process of me personally finally being able to say, I am gay. I don't think that there's anything wrong with me for being gay. Now what do I do? Because I'm married and I have kids and all of that. So um, that's kind of where the journey started. Okay. Again, I was working in a 911 center and the agency that I work for is, um, it's in a conservative county in Colorado and it's a sheriff's office. So it's an elected uh, official who runs our department. Um, And I just think that, and if, if I'm wrong, that's okay too. But my kind of my assumption is our industry of law enforcement tends to be more conservative when we talk about anything political or social it tends to go to the to the conservative side and being a, a gay identified male at the time that i it definitely created some issues i mean i, I wouldn't say i was ever you know physically threatened or you know even to my face verbally accosted in any way, but there was definitely just a feeling for me of, you know, probably best for you to keep that quiet, you know, do your job, try not to really. Well, and that was in, in, and correct me if I'm wrong, like kind of around that time, that was kind of the mindset, right? Like, I don't know the dates and the years, but the don't ask, don't tell era. Yeah. Things like that. Would you say like that was kind of that mentality back then? Yeah. I mean, we're talking the early 2000s. So, you know, some of that had been changing, I think, in the greater society. But again, I think our industry is not always right up to date with all of that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a new change for me at that point, too. So I was really still trying to figure out what that meant for me. Um. Eventually, I did, you know, my wife and I separated, we divorced. Uh, What was interesting for her is her belief system actually changed right along with mine. Like these conversations that I took away from the conference, they made sense to her, you know, and we both mutually just, we agreed, like, you know, we, when we got married, we had a different belief system and that has changed. And so we, we both mutually agreed at at some point, you know, this is just not who you are. And this marriage isn't really for us. It doesn't make sense. So we ultimately, um, we split and we divorced and in co-parenting and all of that. So, uh, in the, in the next few years or the next chapter of my part of the journey, (laughs) ultimately over the, over the last few years, I have also discovered that my gender identity is non-binary. And that is something that, you know, your listeners or, you know, just people in general, I'm finding don't always understand what that means. Yeah. And to be fair, it's taken me a while to understand that. I know the feeling behind it. I didn't know the language for it. And I think, I think that's great that you, that you say that. Cause I know on the class that we were on, um, I had questions about that because I think, over the last couple of years, there have been other letters 
you know, added. And if you're not living in that community, it's, it's almost impossible. Or if you don't, if you, if you don't have those same feelings, it really is hard to understand what they are. So we make a, we make a, and you know, a speculation on, on what you think or, or we don't understand it. So I do think the term non-binary has been, um, for those of us that are not in the immersed in the the LGBTQ community, um, it's a new term for us and there's gonna, there's gonna be a learning curve for sure. 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 And, and, you know, when we talk about non-binary as a gender identity, first of all, in case your listeners are wondering, what does that mean? Um, Typically, it means your sense of yourself, your your own sense of your gender, whether you identify as a man or you identify as a woman. Um, non-binary typically relates to someone who doesn't really identify either exclusively as male or exclusively as female, or maybe their own sense of their gender is, is neither male nor female. Um, and there's a spectrum. So people use that term and they, they identify with it, but it can mean different things for different people. For me, non-binary really to me just means I don't really feel super attached to being a man. That's, you know, biologically I am male. Uh, sometimes my, my physical presentation is male or, or it, people perceive it as male because mm-hmm. like right now I'm bald headed and I have a little bit of scruff on my face and I'm wearing a, a sweater, you know, and it's male presenting. Yep. But I don't necessarily feel like a man. So a lot of people who are, are becoming more familiar with these terms might think, okay, so maybe you feel like a woman or you want to be a woman. And for me, that's just not the case. I don't want to be a woman. I don't feel like a woman. Um, sometimes I express myself, uh, physically with makeup and wigs, and I like to put on sparkly colors and I like to wear dresses and things like that, but it's not because I feel like a woman. It's because I like wearing it. It makes me feel good. So because I neither feel attached to being a man and I don't want to be a woman, my identity is non-binary, meaning it's really neither, And I say my expression is fluid. So in the class, we kind of learn these differences. What is, what is gender expression? What is gender identity? What is sexual orientation? And I don't want to give too much of it away, but that's, that's one big focus of the class is really understanding those differences. Because I think for a lot of people, like you mentioned, who are outside of the LGBTQ community, it's really easy to kind of just lump it all together. Right. right? And, and think, well, if someone's a lesbian, then obviously they're, they're masculine and that's not the case. And there's uh, understanding why that's not the case can be really helpful and really important. Right. And I think as far as the non-binary goes, and, and again, it's, it's like when it, I know if I was to say something, it would probably be an era of ignorance, not intention. But sure. as you describe it, like I remember being a kid and I was a super tomboy. Like mm-hmm. I, I was wearing, you know, if, if you looked at me from a distance, I, there are times I had really short hair and, and I would wear like the long bo- basketball shorts and, and things like that. And, and I think those of us that are outside of the community would kind of have that same 
mentality is that as a, as a young girl, me dressing like a tomboy, it was almost like that was accepted. Like, mm-hmm. oh, she's a tomboy. Um, mm-hmm. But if it was the opposite way where you were a young boy and you were dressing, you know, like a female, a perceived mm-hmm. female, then that wasn't OK because it, it just carried a different, you know, connotation, I guess, if you will. So I think that's where some of the confusion comes from as to, well, why wouldn't it just be considered either a tomboy or. Yeah. You know. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and it all kind of comes back to um, just how the individual feels about themselves. Right? right. So in your example, which is a really good one, you know, as a little girl, if you in your headspace, you knew you were a girl, you liked being a girl, you were comfortable thinking of yourself as a girl. And yet you felt comfortable with short hair and you liked wearing jeans and you liked playing dirty or whatever it was for you. Yeah. Um, that's just the difference. It's your headspace was girl, which matches your biological assigned um, gender and sex. It all matches up, but your expression was, you know, on a different scale. And that's one thing that's really interesting about the content and the class is we talk about those different spectrums and yep. how these different pieces of our identity really exist on, on different spectrums. And I thought that was really, really cool. I mean, definitely if we're going to give the information on another class that you're doing and I, and I encourage folks, even if it makes you feel uncomfortable, even if this conversation makes you feel uncomfortable, I think we owe it to each other, you know, to, to bring that human aspect back. And this is kind of one of those hardest conversations every up until now I've had the conversations about, you know, just the traditional 911 stuff, mental health and, and technology. Mm-hmm. But I think this, I just think this was a really important you know, topic to, to have. Um, so now you're at this place where you identify as, as non-binary. Um, have you had any public safety experiences where, you know, I know that you said that, you know, you work inside of, of the 9-1 center in a sheriff's department, but have you ever experienced outside any experiences where, you know, things were super challenging for you that made you kind of doubt or question that this was the right place for you or, or met resistance. I'm sure you have, but any examples that come to mind? Yeah. You know, and I actually just resonated with something you said, you know, have you ever felt like this isn't the place for you? And that's, I think, um, on two different levels, again, like my career, I have had to question, like, am I in the right place? Is this really my, my home? You know, I would sit through some, organizational trainings and mental health resources, wellness program trainings. And I would hear people say, you know, we're, we're your brothers in blue and we've got your six. And, you know, if you're struggling with something, we're here for you. And I honestly had to question uh, several times in my career. I understand them saying that, but does, do they mean that for me? Because one, I'm not a cop. Um, Two, I, don't have the typical characteristics that it seems to me this community values um, when it comes to masculinity and using guns and, you know, just things that are not as familiar to, to me. So I have had to question, is this really my place? Do I have a place here? Is this where I belong? And, you know, thankfully, I, I feel like there's been a lot of really positive progression for me with my own agency in those regards. So I do feel a lot better today than I have at certain points, but that's not always been the case. Yeah. Uh, in my personal life, I had an experience with law enforcement um, that was very challenging. And 
you know, it's, I don't know if any one of your listeners has had this experience. You, you work in your center, you work in your agency, you feel very comfortable with your officers, you feel very comfortable with the procedures that your agency uses to handle calls for service. And then have you ever been on the other side where maybe you're outside of your jurisdiction yeah. and you're interacting with an agency as the public? And unfortunately, I have had this experience where it's almost mind boggling to me. It catches me sideways because I feel like I interact with this system every day. I understand how this works. I understand these people. And then I'm not getting uh, that, that expectation met as a citizen myself. So it's a, it's a very jarring experience if you haven't had it. Um, one thing that has happened to me that's just been uh, painful and something I'm using hopefully to to learn from and, and have other people grow from. I was in another in another town outside of my jurisdiction and I was going to a wedding. So I was dressed up in a suit. Um, I also had my nails painted. My tie was pink. My shirt was kind of floral print. Uh, and I was on my way to a wedding. I needed to stop t- to get sunscreen because I'm bald. And this was outside <laughs> yeah. this out- outside wedding in the summer. And I thought, if I don't get some sunscreen, I'm going to be burnt to a crisp. So on my way to this wedding, I pulled into a drugstore. And as I was pulling into the parking lot, I was going sh- straight through the parking lot and stopped in a parking space as this other car was kind of coming into the side entrance of the parking lot. Well, apparently they felt that I had cut them off as I was going straight into this parking spot. So they exited their vehicle as a man and a woman. They were irate. They were cussing at me. They were yelling at me. You cut us off. You know, you're so stupid, blah, blah, blah. I said, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to do that. I'm running into the drugstore to grab this, you know, sunscreen and to, I had to go. I was going to be late to this wedding. And as I went into the store, the man from the car followed me around in the store, continuing to cuss at me, uh, calling me homophobic slurs, um, threatening to kick my ass. And, um, and I, at some point in the store, I said, listen, you need to leave me alone. I'm just going to buy my things and leave leave me alone. Well, he continued to follow me, continued to call me names. Uh, As I was standing in line to check out, he was screaming at me, you know, I'm going to beat you up. I'm going to kick your ass, you know, calling me again, these names over and over again. And eventually he turned around and went outside and I, I purchased my items. Well, I went to the store, the store entrance to look, you know, to go out to my car. And I realized that these two people were standing right next to the vehicle. And I overheard the woman say specifically to this man, you know, you better calm down. I don't want you getting charged for a hate crime because he's a bleepity bleep. And I thought, what am I going to do? I can't get into this car. I don't feel safe getting in the car with them right there. So I call for help. And they dispatched police out. And I explained to the officer what was going on. And the officer said, well, they said you cut him off in the parking lot. And I, I said, okay, I, I understand that that's what they're saying, but uh, my, my concern is that I was just followed, threatened, called names. And I said to the officer, is that not harassment? And the officer just didn't want to entertain any uh, charge of harassment. I asked specifically, like they're using homophobic slurs, they're using these words, they were threatening 
physical harm. And the officer just did, did not respond. He said, I'm not doing that. You cut him off in the parking lot. You know, I can't prove that he went into the store specifically to follow you. Um, he said, so why don't we just leave it at this and everyone goes their separate ways. And I just, I felt horribly um, unheard. I, I felt helpless. I felt like I was truly a victim of some type of crime that to me seemed very motivated by being perceived as gay. And the officer would not even entertain that. Right. Um, and so I left that interaction hurt, frustrated, confused. And since then, when I've talked about it with other people, other officers and other departments, I have had people say, a detective just recently said, absolutely, that met the standards in Colorado for harassment for a hate crime. And it, this is now years that this has passed. And I still go back to that going, I can't believe it. I, I was denied service. I was denied um, the, the process that should have happened. And when I look at the material that I'm teaching, the only thing that stands out to me is, did the officer's own bias about what occurred get in the way of that officer taking the right action? Right. Um, and so as a gay person, as a queer person, as a non-binary person, that type of experience with law enforcement um, really challenges now my, my thought process of, am I going to get help if I need it? Am I going to be treated fairly and correctly if I need it? And unfortunately, I think across the country in communities all over the place, queer people experience at least that question or at least that fear of, Am I going to get the help I need? Am I going to be treated correctly? And so that was a, a very uh, challenging, upsetting, painful situation to go through. And this is someone who works in law enforcement every day, you know, right. and this is, again, I also like to acknowledge I am a white male presenting person. And a lot of times the level of service I get can even be better than what some other people who have other identities get. And even I walked away from that experience with law enforcement going, I don't even understand what just happened. Why did that happen to me? Right. And so I, I feel like I have to ask this question only because in the classes that I'm teaching, we are running to, so, so there's a particular call that I referred to where um, the call taker put in the narrative that it was a female party and it was not, it was a male. And I think we're starting to cross this line where folks are more apt to um, identify or, you know, how they are perceiving themselves and the use of pronouns and in that aspect of, of things. What would you say to the telecommunicators? Because we don't want to present a bias, right? Mm -hmm. So, so we definitely don't want to present a bias in any situation. You know, when we ask the question, are they white, black, or Hispanic? We're asking it. So when the officer gets on scene, we can say, they can say, oh, it was identified as, you know, A, B, or C. Mm -hmm. So that's what they're looking for as far as the description goes. 
Um, I, I think it would be good if you had any thoughts on sharing, uh, because when we do talk about it, if maybe you sound like a female to me, or you sound like a male, I mean, how, how should we be looking at that when we're questioning the callers and, and not wanting to offend somebody because you might sound like a female to me and, and I might inadvertently put it in there. Mm -hmm. Uh, What are your, what are your thoughts on that? Well, you know, that's a really good question. And and I think as people, professionals in public safety, we always, um, like you said, we have, we want to present, we want, we want to handle our job professionally. We want to handle it um, ethically. I think that's in all of our hearts. You know, the people that I interact with in public safety, I think they have good intentions. I think we all want to do what's right for the right reasons. What I often try to look at when the question you're asking is, what is necessary and what is relevant to the situation? Um, also, when a caller says, this is my name, I identify this way, these are my pronouns, I think it is in our best interest as professionals to use that name, use those pronouns, and uh, honor that person how they identify where it can be tricky and calls for service, I think, is like you said, descriptions or, um, you know, what information does the officer or responders need to have? And that's where I go back to what's relevant and what's necessary. If a responder is going to be coming on scene, it is necessary for them to visually have the information they need to respond to that call properly. So an example I have, uh, I had a parent say, you know, my child ran away. I think they're going to be here. So that's why I'm here. And I was asking, you know, the information child's name and gender and description. And the parent said, well, she was born female, but she, this is their wording, she identifies as a male and um, his name, and then they change pronouns. His name is such and such. And I said, okay, thank you. That's good information. When my officer, if my officer sees your child, what description are they going, what visually are they going to ah, see? Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Makes so, sense. Yeah. And, and, and so again, it's just what is relevant and what is necessary. Um, it's necessary for me to have a physical description. And, and so again, I acknowledged that your child identifies as male and your child uses this male name. And in the call for service, I referred to the child by the name that they used. But I also was very clear, uh, the physical description is going to be this. So I think that's the distinction we need to make and and focus on what's necessary and what's relevant. Uh, The relevancy, another example I use for that is, you know, if you have a, a call for service where someone was maybe assaulted in a domestic and the officer responds and they find out, okay, well, these two men met on a dating app and then one of them was assaulted. Is it really necessary to put in your report they met on a gay dating app? You know, is there some reason that saying it's a gay dating app, does that change the fact that they met on an app? Does it change the fact that he was assaulted? Not really. So that's an example of, is it really relevant to say it was gay? Like, do we have to say that? Probably not. And 
what is the harm in saying it? Well, it could be perceived that you have some bias, so you're making it known that it's gay, as if, you know, that makes and I'm not saying that the officer would necessarily believe this, but some people could look at it and go, well, then do you think that I'm not really a victim because I was involved in a gay dating app? I mean, there's all kinds of perceptions that we want to avoid. And I think sticking to what's relevant may help us. So these two people met on a dating app. They were assaulted. It's domestic. It doesn't really matter that it was a gay app. It doesn't really matter that they're both male. What matters is this is what happened, and that's what's relevant. Right. That that's a great that's a great way. That, you know what is relevant, what is necessary, um, because I do find at times if 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 it isn't something or or if you may not know and the opportunity doesn't arise, then it's your calling party, right? And and it's your your reporting party. Um, in this particular case, they did they didn't know what it was because it was kind of an open line situation. So there was mm-hmm. an assumption, right? And I think I think we all know what happens when we assume, and we need to you know be careful when we when we make that assumption. Um, but no, I think that's I think that's a great a great way to look at it. Um, I also think it's important that no matter what your beliefs are, um, I, I don't like seafood. OK, so if somebody called and and they didn't like seafood, well, OK, maybe or, or they liked seafood and I had a bias against that. It, it I don't have the place or the ability to judge anybody on the other side of the call. I think I want folks to have a true understanding that while this may not be your um, your belief, your feelings, your in your religion or whatever the thought process is, we still have a job and a responsibility to the person on the other end of the call. Would you agree? Obviously, I, I think you would. Yeah, I do agree. And, you know, there's times just to put the shoe on the other foot, you know, there's times that I interact with callers who are presenting something in their life that goes against my own values. And, you know, I have to give them the same level of service that I would someone who is in my community, who maybe my values align with more. Right. And I think that's the expectation of public safety. I think that's when I talk about my experience with this police officer outside of my agency, that's what's so upsetting is there's this expectation that things are going to be handled correctly, professionally, regardless of who I am, regardless of who I'm talking to on the phone. That's who we are as professionals. We have that expectation. We have to meet that expectation. And honestly, in many, many places, there are laws that we as public safety professionals have to to meet. We have to treat people equally. We have to treat them ethically. Um, so it's really important on for many reasons that we do that. Right. And so, you know, when, uh, and, and I'm the type of person that doesn't want to believe that this is still happening today. Sure. Um, you know, so if, if you told me that story and my, my mind would possibly go to, you know, maybe, maybe he's just a lazy officer. Maybe he just didn't mm-hmm. want to write a report. Right. So mm-hmm. trying to get somebody to maybe look at a different side of that. But I guess mm-hmm. if you, if you don't experience it or you don't feel that, or you haven't experienced it, it could be extremely challenging. So would you say it's not, um, it's not a good idea for somebody in that situation for me to offer that, right? Like a, a 
I don't want to say a contradiction, but like if somebody is feeling like they weren't done properly in a mm-hmm. situation, it's just to hear and listen, right? Because we can't change how somebody else feels. Correct. Yeah. And I think that this borders on a lot of challenging issues we're seeing in law enforcement and public safety. You know, there there are groups in our community saying, wait a minute, I don't think we're being treated fairly by law enforcement Mm -hmm. or, you know, and I think our natural response is to put our defenses up and say, well, that's wrong. Of course, we're treating everyone correctly. Of course, we're treating everyone fairly. And I think we really miss some important opportunities when we don't listen, when we try to explain away well, there's a bad cop every, you know, there's going to be bad cops everywhere. They're not all bad. Right. Or, well, he probably didn't, it didn't matter that you had on nail polish and, and a feminine colored shirt. He probably just, you know, was lazy. Those things are true and could be true on some level. Yeah. But it also, when we just dismiss that blanketly, when we kind of look at ourselves and say, there's no way we could be acting wrongly, uh, that's, that's where we're going to continue to have problems. And, you know, I think the reason why you do training, the reason why I do training is because we want to make our profession better. We don't want our profession to have lawsuits. We don't want our officers to suffer consequences So we want to give them the information. We want to give them the tools so that they are making the right decisions, that they are doing the right things so that our profession is thriving. And I think for people in our profession to try to shift that view, I think we get defensive. No, we're not doing anything wrong versus why don't we listen? Why don't we understand this perspective and make sure that we're doing everything we can so that we don't end up in a bad situation. Yeah. And I, so when I say that, you know, I have never experienced what that would have, would have felt like Um, in the beginning of your class, you talked about, you know, being able to advocate for the LGBTQ community. Um, And are you, would you like to talk about your recent Facebook post? That was something that changed. And then kind of the perspective where, me as somebody who's not a part of the community is looking from the outside saying, you know what, people are more understanding and and, uh, accepting of the community and where I've never experienced it or seen somebody treating somebody in the LGBTQ community poorly. um, There's still a lot of work to be done. Would, would you agree with that? Yeah. Yeah, there is. I, I also acknowledge there's been a lot of progress. And so yeah. for sure, you know, we're, we're making progress and there have been lots of steps in the right direction. So it's, it's not to overlook that, but right. I think the, I think the Facebook post you're referring to is when uh, the agency that I work for this past summer made our very first ever pride post. Um, and it was me who brought it to their attention saying, Hey, it's pride month. You know, could we, as a dispatch center, um, make a pride post just to show our support. And um, again, I was positively surprised in a, in a good way that my agency said, yeah, sure, that's fine. So uh, a group of us in my dispatch center, you know, we put on rainbow shirts and had flags and um, got together. And all it was, was a group picture of us standing next to each other in the dispatch center. And the, the post said something like, um, you know, our dispatches celebrating pride or happy to, I don't know the exact wording, but it was very minimal. It yeah. was one picture and we posted it. 
Um, and the comments were were very interesting. Uh, it was one of the most it was it was a post with one of the most interactions like our agency makes posts all the time yeah this post had like you know thousands and thousands of responses more so than other posts yeah and a lot of the comments were very negative comments um you know this is pathetic why do we have to have this shoved in our face why does it matter if they're gay one person just flat out said i don't support people who are psychologically ill and you know just these really negative comments and I do get asked sometimes is this really still a problem do we really still need to be talking about this and I think that post was eye-opening for a lot of people even in my agency to go okay wow I guess people really do still feel this way and um, and I think that's important to to recognize that there is still work there are those attitudes and you know you talked about you don't necessarily have to change your own beliefs and and i understand that especially when we're talking about a faith tradition or um i understand that but when our attitudes are so negative about somebody else right that we feel um compelled to tell them or post something like that publicly that's an issue it is and especially if we're talking about it coming from a professional in public safety, yeah. which uh, is why I'm doing the training that I'm doing. I want to make sure we're never the ones doing that. Right. Um, so I always talk about in my classes, you know, I'm all about positive conversations. One of the things that, that you know, I refer to in my classes is DISC personality assessments to understand how people are and why somebody might, you know, respond in the way they do or why they may act the way that they do. Um, but one of the things that I talk about is that communication and conflict, right? And I always talk about there are three very specific conversations that I will not have with you. I, I am not going to talk about politics. I am not going to talk about sports and I am not going to talk about religion. And <laughs> those, to me, those conversations are off topic. Now, let me be clear in something is I will learn. Right. So mm-hmm. I, it, there's a difference is that I don't want to have a conversation in which um, you are trying to change how I see something. I want you to educate me on how it is. And then I get to make the decision on whether or not I change, because I think if somebody is trying to change how somebody sees something without educating them, then it's not going to end well. So I do believe that it is important for us to see, you know, the other side of, of anything that isn't aligned, you know, with, with what we might see or, or be one of our beliefs or our values and to Mm -hmm. be able to be educated and have an understanding of what it means to somebody. It's no different than the disc stuff that I do. Now, I know that there are certain uh, personalities under the disc assessment that don't like details. Mm-hmm. They just want you to get to the point. Well, um, sorry, pumpkin. When I tell a story, I am given the details. I'm telling this story and then it's going to lead to another story. And chances are there's going to be six stories in between that story. And eventually I'll get to the point, but I sure. know that that's going to frustrate somebody. Right. So I've made a conscious decision that I'm going to get to learn about other people and what their needs are and what motivates and what demotivates them. And then I'm going to kind of become a chameleon and I'm going to accommodate 
that conversation. So I have a positive interaction. And I remember somebody saying to me one time when I, when I explained this to them, they said, why are you going to change who you are to accommodate somebody else? You shouldn't change who you are. And I think, I don't know where it came from, but I pulled it out and it, it just made sense to me at the time. As I said, I'm not changing who I am. I'm changing how I behave. Mm-hmm. Two very different things. Two very exactly. different things. For, for sure. Yeah. And I think, you know, I think a matter of personal growth is kind of our awareness of ourselves and how we respond and, you know, what our triggers are. But then again, once you have that self-awareness, okay, now it's my responsibility to manage that properly, to have the outcomes that we all desire in our center, in our organization, at our agency. And so I think a lot of what you're doing speaks to that. Yeah. So um, before we have to get wrapping up, I just, I love this conversation. I love where it, where it started, where, where it's going, but I want to talk a little bit about the class that, that I attended. So you, you put it out there as a, Hey, I want to start putting this out there. Can folks jump on and, and just kind of hear what I have to say. And I just thought it was a really educational understanding. It gave me an understanding of a lot of things, things that I just may not have been aware of based on the lifestyle that I live. Um, So I appreciate you taking the time to do that. I do know you're having another one, but will you just talk a little bit about what this class is and, and who you're offering it to and why? Sure. I recently was certified as an instructor for LGBTQ awareness for law enforcement. It's a program out of Napa Valley Criminal Justice College in Napa Valley, California. It's a program that was developed by an officer, uh, and it's specifically designed to be taught to law enforcement. So with that certification, I have developed my own curriculum and my own material. I have used a lot of the curriculum from that course Uh, which is they allow you to do that once you're certified. And I've come up with um, a presentation that is geared towards public safety in general. So it's, I can teach dispatchers, I can teach law enforcement, first responders, uh, firefighters. And it's, it's truly an awareness class. It's to give our profession some understanding on what these issues are, the differences between sexual orientation and gender identity, the terminology that is common, that it's acceptable. A lot of people say to me what you did earlier, I don't want to offend someone and I don't know what I should say, what I shouldn't say. So we go through some of that. We'll talk about the history of the LGBTQ community, civil rights, and the historical context of the interactions with law enforcement. And we talk about why that might lead to some barriers for people when they're calling for help or where they need to interact with first responders. Yeah. We address certain calls for service, just uh, again, some tips and tricks on, you know, when you're taking a call that involves transgender um, women or transgender men or non-binary people, when you're responding to calls for service as an officer that involves a domestic relationship between a same-sex couple, we talk about some of those things and give some good tips and um, not tricks, but you know, tips, yeah. tools. Well, and to- I th- and I th- and I think that's really important that you said that because knowing that the pronouns for someone that's non-binary is they and them. If I say they and them on the radio, it's probably given the impression there's more than one person there. 
sure. that could, that could be dangerous too. Right. So, so it could very easily come back on the telecommunicator while you were indicating there were more than one person there, but there really wasn't. So sure. the, the proper way to kind of dispatch in that situation is, is I, I just, I just thought that was great stuff. Yeah. Um, and then we wrap up with creating an inclusive and supportive environment in our own workplace at our own agency for LGBTQ employees. So those are the areas of content. And um, I just took this material, uh, combined it with my own personal experience as a gay non-binary person and my experience uh, as a dispatcher. And I wanted to be able to present that information to my colleagues in this industry, just again, to make us better, to ensure that we're uh, handling these things correctly and we're doing um, a service to the community that we took an oath to do. Yeah. And that's really important to me. Well, so I think as it's you, phenomenal. As you mentioned, thank you. Um, as you mentioned, uh, these I'm in the beginning stages of getting this course up and running. And so I did offer it uh, online uh, for free because I'm, I'm looking for, first of all, the practice of running the material and secondly, the feedback. And so I have one more session set up that's going to be free. It's likely going to be my last session that I offer for free as I mm -hmm. polish the material. Yep. And so I do have a Zoom class coming up on Monday November the 15th. It'll start at 11 a.m. Mountain Time. And I have it scheduled for four hours so that we can go through the material. If that's something that you're interested in joining, I'm happy to have anyone who wants to be there be there. Um, just send me an email so I can get you the registration link. And mm -hmm. my email is ocean at sapphire t like training c like consulting.net. And so that's O C E A N ocean at sapphire, S-A-P-P-H-I-R-E, T like training, C like consulting.net. And I think it, you know, I, we, when I, when we did it, it was a three hour session and it went by very quickly. Um, you had a lot of interaction. Folks were allowed to ask questions. Um, I know I asked a couple of hard questions just because there were things that I didn't understand and that it was important for me to understand it. Um, you know, having being kind of immersed into a community that I, I, I just I've, I've always connected with the community, but I just had a surface level understanding of it. And to to really be able to see a different layer and level was was eye opening to me. And, and in the community in which I served as a telecommunicator and as a firefighter in an EMT, I didn't have to have I, I didn't have the experience, you know, on a regular basis. So to be able to have somebody that just says, Hey, just, just be aware. These, these yeah. are the things. And, and I do think that that's, that's really important for, for us to share. So. Well, I'm so glad you were with us in the class and I really appreciate you inviting me onto your podcast. I really enjoy speaking with you and, and thank you so much. Yeah, you're very welcome. All right. I will make sure that uh, folks have access to your information. They can always reach out to me too, and I can connect you to folks. But I think, I think you're going to see that this class is going to become much bigger than you, you probably expected. So, okay, very good. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Ocean. I appreciate you and your education. All right. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Make sure you join us next time for another episode of entertaining, educational, and empowering interviews with public safety difference makers. Please like and follow me on social media at On Scene First with Tracy Eldridge so you too can keep up with my shenanigans. 
Thank you, heroes, from the bottom of my blessed heart. Stay safe, stay strong, and stay here. We need you. For more information on Rapid SOS, our premier sponsor, and how you can get connected to the world's first emergency response data platform and better prepare and protect your family and community, visit rapidsos.com today.